All right, hey, we are in a series, what do you really, really, really want? Right, we all want things in life, but what do we really, really, really want? And if you're a guest with us here this morning, I'm just going to talk for a few minutes. I'm just going to kind of introduce a topic this morning, and then we're going to enter a time of prayer, and I'm going to, I think... Um, I'm going to. I think God's Spirit is going to move you to pray very specifically um, this morning uh, about what you want. And again, we've been learning it's a very, very tricky question. Um, we've all found that we've gotten what we want only to find out later it's not what we really, really wanted. Um, it didn't deliver the satisfaction promise. Some of you got a who that you really, really wanted. And now you're stuck with them. Don't look left or right. Don't just don't do that. Um, some of you got the car, you got the house, got the jobs and 32 payments later and you don't even like what you purchased anymore and you're still making payments on it, but you now hate it, right? So we've discovered though that the better question than what we want is what do we, what do we value? That's the bigger question. What do we value? That's a little bit longer term. That's a little bit further on down the road than our immediate wants. And we've learned that we will never get what we really want until we discover what we really value. And it seems like an easy task. You know, decide what you ultimately value and then, then go for it. But it's a little trickier than that. There's a couple problems. First of all, what we really lack, or excuse me, what we're really searching for and what we really value, we found out then in our culture at least, is not readily available. Again, like I tell people sending their kids to college, you can send them to a state university and what they need, they're going to have to search for, right? And what they don't need is going to be in their face. But if you send them to a Christian university, what they don't need, they're going to have to search for. And what they truly value and what you value for their lives, it's going to be in their face. It's just going to be all over the place. And we live in a world that what we truly value as followers of Jesus Christ is really lurking in the shadows. Everything about our culture pushes that off to the, to the deep corners because it's not marketable. Nobody can make any money off making you more lovable, right? I can make money off you wanting a new car. I can make a lot of money off you. But if you just want peace in your life, I can sell you magic beans and I can give you a prescription. But, right, what do you really, really, really value? Um, so our culture is not going to help you find these things. You're going to have to search for them. You're going to have to do a little bit of due diligence and search for the things that you really value and, and make an effort for them. Because what we naturally want keeps getting in the way. Um, second problem, a little bit deeper than any kind of culture, any kind of time. Um, the deeper issue, and this crosses all, all, all places, all times, is what we naturally want is in conflict with what we ultimately want. Every day we experience this struggle. The Apostle Paul summed it up for us in, in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. He says this, I do not understand what I do. We talked about the fact that last week this could be some of your, maybe your friend's life verse, right? Put this up on your mirror and this describes your life, right? This will explain to your husband why you do the things you do. Some of you explain to your wife why you, I don't understand what I do, honey. Anybody ever answered your, your spouse that way? I don't know why I did that. I didn't want to. I didn't plan on it. I have no idea why I did it, but I'm really, really sorry. And I'll probably end up doing it again. <laughs> For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And that's, that's the situation we're looking at. There's just there's this constant internal battle between what we naturally want and what we value ultimately. See, we've got this sinful nature. The sinful nature, and it's bent towards what we naturally want, but God wants to exchange that sinful nature for his spirit. 
right? And unless you exchange that sinful nature in your heart with God's spirit, you are going to struggle and you're going to struggle and you're going to struggle and you're never going to gain because it's going to be all based on your effort, your self-discipline, and you all know how self-disciplined you are, right? Good luck. <laughs> I, I'm pointing at myself on that one, right? That, that's totally me. Right? But God wants to exchange that nature for a new nature. He wants to give you a new heart, one controlled by the Holy Spirit, not by nature. Nature, as we found out last week, is not a good teacher. Nature is mean and brutal and ugly. Far away, beautiful. Up close, whoa. All right? Now, even though this, this new nature, this new bent that God puts in our heart towards pleasing him is a wonderful thing, um, but the fact of the matter is we're going to have to actually do some hard work. It's not just going to instantaneously, we will be given a new nature instantaneously, but we have a whole bunch of habits and patterns in our life that have been developed over many, many years, and now we're going to have to have this new nature. Some of us, it happens instantaneously. I, I've seen it, and I just think, mir Miracle right? Miracle. But for most of us, it's a long drawn out battle, but one that can be won. Definitely a battle that can be won, right? So we just have to relearn these long-term embedded behavioral responses with the help of the Holy Spirit, not nature, right? All right. So in 1989, a lot of you might've read this book, apparently about 25 million of you read it. Uh, Stephen Covey's uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Anybody read that book? Anybody make your way through it? Pretty amazing book, right? Um, he digs into this issue and provides a great mental and emotional kind of an exercise. If you're wondering, what is it that I really value? I know what I want. No, that's easy. Just give me two minutes, right? But what I really value, I got to kind of, I got to process that one. I got to really, really think that one through. And he gives us this, um, this exercise. I'm going to walk you through it right now, very quick, very simple, to help you understand and help you realize what is it that you truly, really value. Um, he says, imagine that you're going to go to a funeral, Okay. You walk in and you see a lot of your friends, you see a lot of your colleagues, you see a lot of people from your past and your present, um, and it's clearly a funeral service, and you walk down to the front and you, and you recognize with a, with a rather, rather startling uh, recognition that the person in the coffin is you, right? So you're at your own funeral, and the question that he puts you before, before you is, is what are they going to say about you? What are your friends going to say about you? What is your family going to say about you? What are your colleagues going to say about you? What are your neighbors going to say about you and your casual acquaintances? What are they, they going to say about you? I know when I do weddings and funerals, I'm not... I'm going, to be, I'm going to very carefully say this because I would love to perform your wedding vows, but I'm, I'm more interested in doing your funeral. <laughs> I just want to be honest with you, because when I do your wedding, there's nobody that's going to be listening to me. I promise you. Nobody's listening to the pastor. But, but at a funeral, people start looking at their lives. Right at a wedding, they already went, oh, I, I already chose. But at a funeral, you still get to choose. Right? You're examining a life that's over, and you're still living, and you get to decide, where do I want to go from here? Do I want my life to be talked about in that manner? Or do I want my life to be talked about in this manner? So in this exercise, Stephen just kind of, kind of puts you through this. And he's asking, what will they say? And probably more important for us this morning is, what would you like them to say? Because you're not dead. 
So every person in this room still has time. I don't know how much time <laughs> to tell you that. <laughs> That's just the truth. What are they going to talk about? Are they going to talk about your achievements? Are they going to talk about the trophies on your shelves? Are they going to talk about your career, your corner office, the view that you had? Or are they going to talk about your life, your character? Are they going to talk about how you contributed to their life? What are they going to say at your funeral? And again, more importantly, what do you want them to say? Because you've still got time. I have to ask myself, what would Diane say? What would my girls say? What would the other pastors from the other places that I've been, what would they say about me? What would my neighbor say about me? What would you all say? And then Stephen writes this. He says, if you carefully consider what you wanted to be said of you in the funeral experience, you will find your definition of success. And you can just start writing it down, write it down on your mirror. These are the things that are important to me. That car, funny enough, didn't make the list. That job, that, that advancement, that raise, that whatever, didn't make the list. We've got to kind of be thinking about this. Why didn't it make the list? Why didn't those things make the list? Again, you may have thought or imagined what success meant up to this point, but now you know. As you walk through that experience, now you know. What is it that is important to me? Because those are the things I want said about me at my funeral. And here's where many of you are landing emotionally right now. I no longer care about my accomplishments. Now I'm beginning to think, just like as if this were a funeral, what will people say about me? And you're all beginning to think, right? How have you been treating people? What does your prayer look like? Prayer life look like? Are you asking for things that are going to bring you joy? Or are you asking for things that are going to bring joy to the people that you say you love? Just kind of a quick little examination of your prayer life. Here's the thing, though. At a funeral, nobody talks about your accomplishments. That's usually in your obituary. It's kind of red, kind of cursory, and it's important. It's what you did. But once people start talking at the funeral, they're not talking about your accomplishments, I promise you. They're talking about you and what impact you made on them. That's the last thought. That's the last conversation people will have about you. They'll either say nice things about you. They'll say mean things about you or worse. They won't even show up because you never showed up. You were just all about you and your goals and your dreams and your achievements. But in the end, nobody cares. Nobody cares about your achievements. So you've come to the right place to wrestle with this question. What do you really want? We're going to enter a time of prayer now. And then I'm going to bust out God's word. And then I believe that God's word is going to help you gel that list, help you prioritize that list, those things that you saw people talking about at your funeral. But in this morning's prayer time, I'm going to open up the altars. And I want you just to be really honest with yourself. Um, what is it that you want to see once your kids leave the house? Has that been a part of your prayer life or a part of the things that you want in your life? What do you want your kids to be like when they leave home? What do you want out of your life when you reach retirement? 
What is it? What's your goal? What is your goal now that you're retired? Do you, do you have that goal? Is there something that you're driving for? Maybe a, a legacy? What is, it, what is it that you're leaving behind? And each one of us is at a stage in, in our life, and I, and I believe it's very important for whatever that stage is, and the next stage that you're, you're working toward is, have I achieved what I valued? Or do I simply have a new F-150 and a new car and a new job? Have I, have I distilled love into my kids, right? Do they, do they go to school now and do, do they have Christ in their life? That was the most important thing to me, but I look back and I wonder, how often did I pray about that? I generally pray, just don't let anything bad happen to them. So as we pray this morning, again, as you're moving, I don't know where you are, but my guess is there's a next stage in life for all of you. And and the question, it's got to be in the back of your mind is, did I leave the last stage the way I wanted? And in this next stage, what do I want? What do I want in my new career? What do I want in my retirement? What do I want with my new family? What do I want with this new man or woman in my life that I'm marrying? What what is it that's going to be most important? And right now, I just want to enter a time of prayer. I want you just to seek what, what, what is the Holy Spirit's opinion about this? What does he want to see happen in your life? So really this prayer time might not be you voicing, but maybe just you being silent and just listening to the Holy Spirit. What, what does he want to see happen at this point? Does he want you going down that road or down this road, that path or this path? So if you all bow your heads again, the, the altars are open. We're just going to spend a few minutes um, just examining our lives, examining ourselves, and, and what, it is, what, what is it that we're working for? What, what, what do you really want at this point in your life? Just bow your heads. Father, you, you want to give us so much. You want to give us Shalom. Father, while we want just the things that we can see right in our immediate future, Lord, you've seen all the way through to the end, and you know that there are certain things that we're going to be needing, and you direct us and you point us toward those things, Father. But we're so concerned with what's immediately around us and what will immediately give us immediate pleasure and satisfaction is is we don't see that far down the road. And Father, your word says, and your son, he never stopped talking about it. The things of this world are so temporary. Focus on the things that are eternal. Values, things that are really important, not just pleasurable. So Father, this morning, even as a a local body of... What are we trying to do in this city Is it about us or is it about the city? Is it about your love? Is it about their needs? Is it about our egos? Father, we're just trying to be honest here. A whole lot of emotions in in all of this. Um, But you have faithfully been drawing us upward, drawing us toward the eternal. Um, And and we fight it every step of the way, Father. And and forgive us as we fight it. And you're so gracious and you continue to give us mercy because your compassion never runs out. So, Father, our prayer this morning is that we would search in the shadows of our lives and and 
and spend the time and emotional energy that it's going to take to discover and then to begin to work towards what it is that we really value, what it is that you value in our lives that you've said that would be a good thing in our lives. And Father, because you're trustworthy, we'll trust that. Father, as we continue to worship you this morning, as we continue to, to, to sing songs with, with, with words and, and phrases that we don't normally come up with ourselves, but express things that we can't express by ourselves. So, Father, as, as we sing this morning, guide us to... to people these songs, to, in, to inhabit these songs, um, to, make them a, to, part, to make them a part of our existence, to, to bring them in to us and to, to make them real. And Father, this can only happen by the power of your spirit. So thank you for your presence here this morning, Holy Spirit. We, we, we just grant you complete access and all power in this place this morning to do your will. Uh, give us courage. Give us your Holy Spirit, Father. Replace our sinful nature with, with your spirit. And watch the world be amazed. <laughs> watch the world turn from our loving acts to you. And Father, may all these things bless you. And, and just thank you for everything you do for us. We don't even understand it all. But we know that we would not be walking and talking without you. We wouldn't have joy and love and peace. These things would be impossible. They would be pipe dreams. They'd be myths, mythology. But Lord, you make them real. You introduced them 2,000 years ago when your, your son brought heaven to earth. And we get to experience heaven now. So give us your spirit, Father. Help us to walk in step with your spirit this morning. Help us to know your will, Father. And through some really dig, deep digging, Father, may we find out this morning that our will is surprisingly similar to your will. Thank you, Father, for this discovery that many of us are going to make this morning. And it's going to change lives. Father, thank you for your word by which we, we know all these things that you've chosen to tell us. Thank you for your son. Holy Spirit, thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So what was said at your funeral? Don't, don't say it out loud. But you can share over dinner with whoever you decide to eat a meal with today what they were saying about you. Or you can share with each other, like when you're dead, this is what I'm going to say about you. Because that'll be a fun conversation. A little odd, but it, it could be interesting dinner conversation. And in review of the, the funeral exercise, there's, there's one person acknowledged um, that had been through this whole exercise. Um, and, he, and he narrowed it down. What he did is he, he looked at all the things that he had kind of, these are the things I want people talking about me. And he, he kind of narrowed it down, then narrowed it down again, and, and narrowed it down again. And, and it kind of came up with like these seven phrases. Right, and he, and he wrote these words, he put them all over his life, put them on his mirror, his fridge, or whatever. Um, and, and, and for him, they became 
um, a hedge, kind of, or, or a parameter around his behavior. Um, he decided if these are the things that I want to be about, these are the things that I want said about me at my, at my funeral, I better start working towards them. And anything that I do that detracts from them, I should stop doing that. Right? And so for him, all these things, again, they, they kind of built this little fence or parameter around his behavior and they informed his conscience to the point where like alarm bells went off in his life whenever he veered too far into these things. And here's what would happen. Here's kind of what happened to him. For him, hit that next slide there, uh, sin became synonymous with failure. Right? It wasn't just something that God didn't like. He decided that sin was something that he didn't like in his life because it was drawing him away from what he valued. And this was a big revelation for this guy. For example, honesty. Each time that he was tempted to tell a little white lie or tell something, somebody, for example, that he would pray for them and then he actually doesn't pray for them. Um, and it used to be not a really big deal, Right? If, if, if whatever the white lie, he just, oh, sorry, God, you know, and he'd go on with his day. But then he began to recognize, he began to see that when I tell a white lie, I am rapidly moving away from what I want people talking about me at my funeral. So every time he would be tempted to say a little white lie, he would go, oh, oh. I don't want to be that person. I don't, I don't want people talking about me at my funeral like that. So I'm not going to tell these little white lies. Not that, just he, not that he had been needed to be forgiven, but that he had actually failed. Now, here's the thing about beauty, and he quickly recognized this, or, or, or honesty, excuse me. The thing about honesty is it will cost you, right? Every husband in the room understands this. Sometimes just don't be honest. Don't talk. Just stop talking. Um, being honest will cost you. People will ask you things and you will, you will have to respond and you won't be able to respond if you decided I'm not going to tell little white lies anymore. Um, and, and this is, again, kind of, you know, those white lies are going to lead him to failure. So his next realization was that owning his failures was actually a success, right? Owning them was actually, it wasn't a failure. It was a success because he was able to identify the things that he didn't want to be about. If he truly wanted to be honest, then ignoring it, not owning up to it, um, hiding and blaming other people, rationalizing would only make it easier for him to be more dishonest, so he decided in his life, he's going to cut all of that out, all that rationalization, and he's just going to try to be as honest as he can. Here's the point, and exactly where we left off in week one of our series. You'll never get what you really want until you discover what you really value. And the big difference between wanting and valuing and really wanting and valuing is really a matter of, and this is, gonna, uh, this is not news for some people, it's a matter of prioritizing. Listen, I'm not talking about something super unimportant, something bad, something sinful, and something good and moral-filled and, 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 and wonderful and everything. It's usually just between two really good things, good and better maybe, good and great. So again, a lot of times in your life, it's not going to be an easy decision. Oh, that's bad. Oh, I'm not going to do that. Oh, that's good. I'm going to do that. It's going to be like, both of these are good. So at this point, you're going to have to prioritize which one is more good for what you want to achieve at the end of your life. What is it going to be? For me, for an example, I'm kind of a, I, I know I'm kind of a choleric. Right? If you knew personality types, I'm, I'm kind of driven to big picture, accomplished things. That's why I'm a senior pastor. I guess that's kind of how I ended up in this role. Um, 
But here's the danger. That, that, that is a value that I have. I, I, I want to build a church. That, that's just something that God has placed on my heart. That is a value. But I also have another value that's very, very important to me. And that's not my achievement. It's your achievements. Part of my goal as a pastor is to make sure that you achieve everything that God wants to achieve in your life. That's kind of my call or my job, right? Is to, to make it so that you will be fulfilled because that would fulfill me. Now, if I'm not careful... My first love will truly destroy my other love. I will use people and abuse them for my purposes and my glory and my achievements. You see, these are both valuable to me. I want to build a great church, but I don't want to burn people in the process. I've seen that done. I've seen people say, well, the end product is worth it. No, it's not. It's never, ever, never in my opinion. And so for me personally, I have to prioritize. Sometimes I need to be nice to somebody and I forego a great project because a person isn't ready, they're broken, they're hurting still, and I need to address that. In the back of my mind, I want to say, pull up your big boy panties and let's go, right? But I can't do that. I got to, I got to, If I put people under the bus, throw people under the bus, I've failed. Why? Because I don't want people talking about my accomplishments at my funeral. I want them talking about their accomplishments that I helped them achieve. That is my bigger priority in my life. So I've got to be careful. People spend their whole lives stumbling around trying to discover by accident what they really, really value. And I kind of I hope this funeral exercise will help you discover what it is that you truly value. Now, but as followers of Jesus Christ, again, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, we have to take this one step further. We can't stop at what we value and what we feel is most important. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, well, let me back up a step. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, everything we've said so far should be helpful to you. It should just be helpful. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we have to take this one step further, right? It's not about, it's not about what I find important. It's what, what does God really want? It's not what I want. What does God really want? And remember, he's a good, good father, right? He's not the angry neighbor. He's not the mean dad in Luke chapter 11 and Luke chapter 18. He's not, he's not that guy, you don't have to beg God to pay attention to you or to love you. That, that, that's not the point of those stories. The point of those stories is we have a good father. We don't have an angry neighbor <laughs> as a heavenly father, right? We don't have a mean old judge as a heavenly father. We have a loving father. So here's the surprising, troubling follow-up question. What does God really want for us? And I say it's troubling and it's surprising for, for, because for many people, they never bought in. They, they were never told that God wanted something for them. They were only told that God wanted something from them. He wanted their money. He wanted their obedience. He wanted their time. He wanted their firstborn. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. God wants something for me? That, 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 that's... Again, surprising for some people, very, very troubling for other people. Many people left the church because nobody had told them. 
And again, there's another group of people that look at this and they go, ah, I don't know, because there's a good, huge group of people, and, and, and many of them are Christians who actually believe that what God wants and what they want are separate things. So what do you mean, what does God want for me? I know what I want for me, and I know what he wants for me, and they're not the same. I want to have fun. He wants to take all my fun away, and there's a little bit of miscommunication going on here, right? Because both groups, both groups of people believe that the follow-up question is, what does God want from me? This is what most people have been raised. What does God want from me? A great exercise, just to kind of get you out of this. We are kind of talking about this in my Sunday school class this morning. How did Jesus, the disciples, right? They, they come up to Jesus one day, and apparently, I don't know if they weren't happy with their prayer life, or they were kind of enthralled with his, and, and they basically said, hey, you, you, you pray really good there, Master. Would you teach us how you pray? What is the first thing that he says? First part of the prayer. Father, Heavenly Father. If we could just get our heads around that concept that he's our father, that would really kind of take away a lot of the confusion, a lot of the relational garbage that kind of clutters up the room, right? If we could just get our heads around the idea that he is, the creator God is actually our father. We don't have to harangue a dad who loves us, right? With that in mind, ask yourselves this question. What kind of parent wants things from their children? What kind of parent wants things from their children? Probably not a whole lot that doesn't come from our fallen nature and our brokenness. No, oh, because good parents, they don't want things from their kids. What? They want things for their kids. They want a life of joy. They want a happy marriage. They want beautiful kids and grandkids. And they, they want things for their kids. They're not looking for things from their kids. And your heavenly father ultimately wants something for you, not from you. Ultimately, he wants something for you, not from you. See, we assume that there's a competing agenda between what God wants and what we want. That's not true. That's not true at all. The reality is there's a competing agenda between what we want naturally and what we want ultimately. That's the competing agenda. That's the only battle going on. You're battling with yourself. You're not battling with God. As we're going to find out very shortly here, he wants the same thing that you want. Watch this. This is, this is amazing. And again, this funeral exercise helps us realize that God's bucket list is eerily similar to your bucket list. My bucket list for me is almost identical to God's bucket list for me. And you're going to find out very shortly here that your bucket list for you is almost identical to God's bucket list for you. We just got to ask the right questions, right? So what does God want for us? Paul gives us a huge hint in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Listen to this. But the fruit of the Spirit is... Now, here, here's a kicker about this. I, I love this. This is a little tiny phrase here. Message version has it. But what happens when we live God's way? What Paul is saying with this short little verse is, if you were to, imagine this world, little imagination here. What if you lost your free will and you had to do exactly what God told you to do? Just kind of imagine for a moment that you have to do exactly what God wants and you have no more free choice. You're, you're going to live exactly the way God wants you to live your life. No variation. 
Paul says, here's what would happen if we lived God's way. The results of God taking the reins of our lives and being led by his Holy Spirit is this. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Hate, sorrow, fear, frustration, meanness. No, that's exactly what we don't want. That's what we don't want said at our funeral. Can you imagine? And you know what? I have been to a funeral and I had to do one. And this is what was said. It was the most uncomfortable funeral I have ever been to. It was horrible because it was filled with a, it was a room full of people who hated each other. There's a room full of people. Nobody know Jesus. Nobody, nobody. And I, I remember thinking, how am I doing a funeral service in a church? Nobody believes. <laughs> nobody follows. And it was the, it was the weirdest. The, it, I just pray that never happens to you. This is what they talked about for an hour. This is what happens to a life lived outside of God's will. But that's not what it says. Okay, that's not what it says. All right, just kind of want to make sure. If we can just get in step, here's what our life would look like, right? Love, joy, peace. That's just the beginning. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, man, those all sound awfully girly. I want an F-150. That's what I really want. I want a new house. I want an office corner view. I mean, these are the things I really, really, really want. But let me tell you something. Right? These three things alone, we're going to hit six others. There's nine. I think so. These first three alone would solve all of your relational issues. And my, my guess is 99% of your problems in your life are relational problems. Somebody's mad at you. You're mad at somebody. Your neighbor did this. So you did that to them. And, now, you know, you, just, you got this crazy thing going on. These three things alone. Can you imagine loving people who are unlovable and being able to forgive them for things that they do not deserve to be forgiven for? Can you imagine if you did that easily? That'd be, that'd be kind of an amazing place to be. How about joy? What, can, can you imagine being able to go into any circumstance, no matter how crazy and chaotic, and everyone going, how in the world is that person so, they got a smile, right? And they're not living in denial. They're, they, they are truly, would you want that kind of, that, that? And, and, and the last one, peace. Now we know each other here. I'm, we're, we're all friends. Can I just say that most of you need prescriptions for this? Right? You go to your doctor to get peace. And, and Christ is saying, look, if you lockstep with me, if you walk beside me, I'll give it to you for free. I will give you love and joy and peace. And the, and the list continues. Hit that neck. Can continue. Forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And again, there will be some of you in the crowd pushing back going, well, you know, I, I want to accomplish things. That, that looks like somebody who's just going to kind of lay down and be a doormat. Look at the life of Paul. Can I just say he probably accomplished more with a life filled with this than any of you will ever accomplish in your entire life. He did not get nothing done. Paul got a, he wrote half of your New Testament. <laughs> right? Can you imagine if your office or your workplace, just for a moment, what if where you work, these were, the, these were the, not only the rules, but people actually did this. What kind of place would that be? I would think that that would be an amazing place to work. That would just be off the charts. That, I, I want to work at a place like that. And here's the deal. Millions of books are written annually to help businesses be more efficient, create more focus, waste less time, less energy, do this, don't do that, all this kind of stuff. But you remember how about a month or two ago, 
We were talking about uh, a world that's kind of gone chaotic and the big movement was to introduce new regulations in the business world, right? And a business executive told this one author, he said, we could, we could write all sorts of new regulatory laws. But if you're a smart businessman, you're going to go get yourself an accountant and a lawyer and you're going to work your way around those laws and you're going to get in the back way anyway. The law is not going to do a bit of good. What we need is a change of heart. We need to change the nature of our business world. We have a business world that's all about money and gaining and stepping on other people. We need a business world with some morality. You can't write. In fact, check this out. Paul warns us in the very next verse, verse 23, 24, against such things there is no law, meaning you can't legislate this stuff. And if you tried to write a law that forced people to have self-control and forbearance and patience and all those kind of stuff, you know what we do? We learned this last week. Sin would pervert that law. Sin would pervert it. First of all, sin would identify forbidden fruit. We would have a rule that says, hey, you know, you got to have, have self-control. And we would be thinking, well, I don't want to have self-control. I wonder what would happen if I lost all self-control. And it would just encourage us, right? It's just because that's just what sin does. The forbidden fruit. You can't. And then he says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus were cru have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And we've been talking about that. That's that sinful nature, right? That when Christ enters your life, his Holy Spirit boots. That sinful nature has got no room, can't coexist with the Holy Spirit of God in your life. Legalism will get you nowhere, is what Paul is saying. You can write laws that produce all kinds of things. Sin will pervert those laws. The sinful nature is crucified and replaced with the Holy Spirit, and you begin to produce the fruits of a life surrendered by the Holy Spirit. That's the key. He says this in verse 25. Hit that next one right there. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul's using the same language that Jesus used. What did Jesus say to every person when he first met them? You got to do this. You got to do this. Stop doing that. Stop doing this. No, that's not what he said. He said, just follow me. Just walk beside me. Just follow me. Follow me. And Paul's using that same language. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Walk beside him. And if you were to ask God one day, well, where are we going? If I follow your son, where am I going to end up? Because I've heard rumors. And I don't want to be a milk toast. I don't want to be a doormat. I got things I want to accomplish in this life. Where are we going if I follow your son? Can I tell you where you're going? Love. You're going to go to love. You're going to go to joy. You're going to go to peace. You're going to go to patience, forbearance, kindness, self-control. That, that's where you're going to go if you decide to lockstep with Jesus Christ. Again, A-type personalities. Christianity is a do-nothing faith. I don't think so. Look where we are today. Look where we are today. The Christian world has changed the world. In fact, if you can imagine, again, the efficiency of an office run under these rules, Paul closes with this. Again, think to your place where you work. Let us not be conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Would you love to work at a place where there's no bullying, there's no prima donnas, there's no pinstripe bullies, there's no game playing, no backstabbing, no anything like that? Again, business schools spend millions trying to get people to understand and act like this. And Christ says, you know what, if I live in you, this is the way you're going to live. 
This is the way you're going to live. If you want love and joy and peace and patience and all these kind of things mentioned at your funeral, you need to give up control. Again, some of you are still going to push back. Love, joy, peace. Oh, uh, mm -hmm. I know you want these things. And here's how I know. Because you want these things to be evidence in your son's life, in your daughter's life. You want these things to be in the son in law that your daughter eventually marries? You want to see these things in the daughter-in-law that your son eventually marries? For some of you, you want to meet somebody that has these attributes, so stop pushing. You want these things too. You want these things too. Your bucket list is the exact same as God's bucket list. You both want the same things. And yet we're just we're still operating under this crazy idea that somehow he's a against us and he wants things that we don't want and that, that's just all kind of crazy remember the things that we're looking for the things that are important are lurking in the shadows and when you discover what you really value you will be less prone to settle for what you merely want and you will quickly find that your will and the will of God that you thought for so long were so far apart they're going to start coming together they're going to start coming together, and you're going to discover that what you want, God wants too. Your will is his will, and that's where you're going to find true joy in this lifetime. Bow your heads. Father, Satan has done such a number on us. We have been so hoodwinked and fooled. When you have been so brutally honest and straightforward, and yet we keep falling for these desires, these Immediate now. I want it now. Father, this morning I pray that every person in this room maybe caught a glimpse of some things that they want to be about, but they hadn't really been working toward them. And from this day forward, they need your help, Father. They, they battle every day. Father, you know this. So I, I, my prayer, and I, I hope it's their prayer, is that you would fill them every day, that they would seek to be filled by you every day so that sinful nature simply does not have a place in their decision-making, but that you would influence their lives. Thank you, Father, for the multitude of witnesses who will testify to the facts that we've presented this morning. These are not opinions. These are facts. And Father, for the people who have experienced these facts, that their, their testimony would become really loud and ultimately just powerful. Father, for every person in this room, whatever it is that they see in their future, Father, help refine that desire. Help refine it to something eternal. Father, you care about all of our temporary needs, but ultimately you want us looking toward the eternal. By the power of your spirit, we can do this. This is the battle that we can win. Thank you, Father, for victories happening all over the place already. In your son's holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on up.